Hi everyone, this is Matt Taylor, TV editor of ThePopBreak.com, and this is the fourth episode of And the Winner Still Is. I'm joined, as always, by my amazing co-host, film editor of ThePopBreak.com, Marissa Carpico. Say hi, Marissa. Hello. And we are here today to talk about the 1950s Oscars, which I'm very excited to do. I don't know if you know this, Marissa, but or listeners, but it is... Gay men are legally obligated to talk about the 1950s Oscars if they host the podcast, so I'm happy we're doing this now, so that before I get any sort of notification that we haven't talked about it yet. <laughs> but it is a really great year for film. Um, all jokes aside, it really has everything. There's communism, there's actresses, like established actresses facing off against ingenues, both on, on screen and off, and just like a lot of really famous movies. So, we all talk about, including the actual Best Picture winner, which was All About Eve, the very famous movie about an established Broadway actress who, in the midst of a somewhat existential crisis about her life and um, her career as she ages, hires an assistant who's a big fan and maybe trying to take over her spotlight. Uh, The film was a really, really big deal when it was released. It still is tied... With two other films for the most nominations an Oscar winning an Oscar nomination was ever received, it was fourteen nominations, tied with Titanic and shockingly, I guess, like La La Land. I always forget that got that fourteen nomination um, record, but um, and it took on Best Picture, and it's a really wonderful movie, and I'm excited to hear Marissa's experience with this movie. Uh, yeah, I um, saw it, I think, either at in college um, years ago or shortly after, but in the same building. Um, and I uh, watched it a couple times since because it's, you know, it's a classic. Um, and I think it, we might have watched it again during Betty Davis stuff, uh, like, you know, after post-feud and in a sort of Betty Davis uh, marathon. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's a great movie. It's a lot of fun. It's very interesting to talk about after feud because, like, even though the I don't think the miniseries ever really touches on all about Eve, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. it feels so inspired by it. <laughs> so yeah. it's, oh, certainly, yeah, it's very interesting. Um, Any anything where women snipe at each other now, I think, is par- partially motivated by it. You know? Yeah, I mean, I actually was thinking throughout my re- most recent rewatch. Um, of the favorite, weirdly enough, like they're very mm-hmm. different and they're very different female relationships, but um, it's interesting. So um, yeah, I have a weird relationship with All About Eve because I watched it in high school for the first time after watching Sunset Boulevard, which we'll talk about later, but not to spoil our conversation. High school me was obsessed with Sunset Boulevard. It was one of the first um, like old Hollywood fifties um, movies I watched and it really mm-hmm. blew my mind. And I remember while watching it the first time being like, how could any movie have beaten this for best picture? And I sort of like angrily rented all about Eve, just being like, how could this movie beat Sunset Boulevard? And then I was like, mm-hmm. Oh damn, it's pretty good. <laughs> like yeah. maybe, I, maybe I jumped to conclusions a little too quickly, but um, yeah, yeah, I probably watched it at least four or five times since then. I actually own the Blu-ray, and it's a really lovely Blu-ray release. Um, great. Yeah, I, I bought it so long ago that it was like I bought it on DVD. You oh, know wow. what I mean? Yeah, the Blu-ray it was like it was like I, I I hadn't quite transitioned yet to Blu-rays, and I was like, well, you know, I don't know, this is, this is fine. 
Yeah. No, yeah, it's um it's a good release and the box art is great and I just I love a good box art. That's like honestly half my like reason I buy movies anymore. But um no, this movie's really really wonderful. Like I um watching it again for the for the first time in at least 2 years um last week when we were preparing for this episode. Mm-hmm. It's just like it's one of those cases of a really intelligent layered screenplay that you can discover new things each time you watch it and i think what i took away from it the most recent time was just how like weird and dark it is um like in a way that i never fully appreciated in my earlier viewings um there's like obviously films from that era kind of have this reputation today of being like clean and very innocent and like representative of the quote-unquote simpler days and everything and the older movies that i really love more are the ones that are playing with that and like almost they have like these kinky or weird and strange undertones to it that um play with that expectation of what of like the innocence of that era in the film and i always in my previous watches of all about eve sort of saw it as the former of like this movie that's very um I hate the word, like to use the word clean, but it's the first one that's come to mind. It's just like a very innocent movie, and um, it has some like weird stuff going on to it. It's like a very that's wild. It's so it's so snappy and like and sharp. I, yeah. I, I, I that's that's crazy to me that you ever had a a a view of it as a, anything but sort of biting. You know, it wasn't so much like like it was definitely always biting, but I saw it as being this very like um like uh, just like you know more innocent view of the industry but i think so much has changed with how we view the industry as a whole in the past mm-hmm. two years where now i see it and it's definitely the sort of thing where you you realize this is so much more than a movie about two women fighting for the spotlight that like you have this oh imp- oh sorry okay no i i guess i yeah i see that i suppose i just never i i don't know if i ever thought of it that way after seeing it do you know what i mean like mm-hmm. I saw it like you know like you hear that when you uh before you watch it and then you watch it and it's just like it's a takedown of everyone because it's like there's a journalist there's a director there's a writer there's actors there's like people who are not even actors yeah. so like I don't know it, it, it I think as soon as I watched it the first time I, I definitely felt like oh this is not it's not about two women sniping at each other in fact they don't really ever snipe at each other no it's actually like Margo kind of likes her in a weird way at the, like for quite a bit of it. It's very yeah. it's very interesting. And um the the journalist character you mentioned played by George Sanders um is such a great villain. He's so um unsettling in a way that I don't quite know how he nails it, but like his final scene I in think the it's film, just George Sanders honestly. That's like who he <laughs> is. Like I read his memoir years ago. Um uh, it's it's like it's called memoirs of a professional cad um what a great title. and he it's phenomenal um and he also he he this is darker but he killed himself and the the um the note he left was also like a joke so he was like fully committed to being ironic and sort of cruel at all times like um he was married to Jaja Gabor and he just he burns her mercilessly in that <laughs> that memoir. Well, and himself too. I mean it's pretty cruel. <laughs> Werewolf reading Inside Oscar, which is a really great book, and um at one point in it they refer to him as Zaza Gabor's third husband. <laughs> and I yeah, was like, what that a- was 
funny that way of describing him. Like, it was. But just... you know what? I I I wouldn't be surprised if he described himself as, as, as that at some point. Because there's, mm-hmm. I think there's a line I can't remember it exactly, but it was like, um, got like he basically says something like Jaja like lost weight or whatever, and and it was about 150 pounds, which is what I weighed at the time or whatever, something <laughs> like that. Be like some sort of like all this wry bullshit where it's like, oh, he just like this is his life. He speaks like this all the time. What a so maybe it wasn't that much of a stretch his character. No, it really wasn't. <laughs> I was just really taken in this viewing of his last scene and just how like it's so I don't know uns- like unsettling. It like weirdly made me very uncomfortable in a way that it hadn't in the previous times. I don't know if just like the times have changed or I have changed, but like I gained like a newer respect for this movie that I already really really loved. But um, I don't know. It's just, like we mentioned before, like you mentioned, you mentioned before, um, any movie now with women sniping at each other can kind of feel like a riff on all but you. And I, that's the other thing that really stuck with me this time. Like, A Star is Born is a movie that we've got in this kind of remake of or reimagining um, of every 30 or so years as the industry changes. I love to see a version of this every 30 or so years because, I mean, this is obviously about Broadway and not quite film, but even Broadway has changed in, in like to an insane degree. They're not really like this um, upper society New York circle anymore. I mean, it's like they're still they're like they're well, we, yoga. To, to remind you, we did get Smash. We did, yes, <laughs> we did. Gosh. Our favorite, our favorite document of all time. That really is like oh god. Is all about is Smash like the 2010s all about Eve? Maybe it. it no, it really is, and that's the quality of it speaks to what happened to Broadway. <laughs> the fact that we ever entertained Catherine McPhee is conceivably playing M- Marilyn Monroe over <laughs> literally Megan Hilty is is an exp- is like truly sums it up. It truly did does. Marilyn Monroe, who is in this movie, and I have seen this movie about yep. five times, and every time she shows up, I'm still like, oh shit, it's her. <laughs> like, what a I, great I, one. I'm scene. a big. I'm a big Marilyn fan, so I, I think at some point I did watch this because I was like, you know, various people I watched it. Like, I probably watched it again after reading the Sanders um, memoir, and then I prob- I watched it again for Betty Davis, and I definitely at some point watched it for, like, how much is she in this? Like, just a- out of curiosity for Marilyn. Like, and it's a great one-scene performance. Like, she, <laughs> I wish I wrote down the line. Whatever her last line is. Like, something about, like, men that she has to appeal to never being attractive or something like that is so beautiful. And I love just the savage one-liners throughout this movie. Um, it takes no prisoners. And it's funny that we, we'll be talking about Sunset Boulevard in a little bit, which at the time had this reputation of being this, like, very dark and, um, like, I guess mean film about Hollywood. A lot of people in Hollywood were not very happy with it, according to Inside right. Oscar. Producers like threatened, threatened. Um, is it George Cougar? Um, Billy Wilder, I think. Billy Wilder. Sorry, it's there's so many Cougar movies yeah. that we're watching. I forget. All their names also kind of sound alike, so I'm just like, eh. but um, it's like it was funny to me that Sunset Boulevard has a reputation of being this very mean film but i don't think this one is very glowing either (laughs) like it's like this one i mean it's a little more um it makes that lifestyle look kind of interesting like i was kind of like i'd love to go to a party and just drink a cocktail it's very yeah it's real glamorous 
But, like, yeah. yeah, but it makes it look pretty harsh and, like, rough. But, um, no, what a, it, it, I really do love All About Eve. Um, it's getting a stage adaptation, which we talked about offline while we were, um, just getting ready for this episode, um, and one of our future ones. And I was reading some reviews of the stage production, which there aren't many of, I guess it's still, it's in the, it's in London right now with Gillian Anderson and... Lily, Lily James. James. I always confuse Lily James and Lily Collins, even though they have very different careers. But, wow, um, how dare you? I know. <laughs> Sorry, Lily James. I like you more. But um, but Lily James, like Gillian Anderson, Lily and Lily James, and the reviews that I was reading were, were like, oh, like the director brings out more the idea that it um there were sexist powers at play, um helping develop this feud as opposed to just um. Like, two women fighting. And as we just discussed, I mean, high school me definitely didn't pick up on this. But watching it again, I'm like, I think it's already there. Like, I don't think... No, go go ahead. Go ahead. (laughs) No, no. I mean, that director is not someone I think is very good. So I'm suspicious of any compliment to that director. (laughs) Like, you know what? I don't think it's him. It's probably Lily James and Gillian Anderson, two great actresses who are really fantastic and basically every piece of shit they've ever been in. So, Mm -hmm. like, please calm down. All right. And who look stunning in all the photos of that play. Like, I, I am cautious because I also... I'm not really a fan of that director. I don't know enough. I don't see enough Broadway to really be able to say if I'm a fan or not. But the few experience I've had with this director, I'm not, I don't particularly like. But they yeah. look stunning, and I am very excited for this play purely for them. <laughs> yeah. Same. Um, I mean, I'll buy a ticket. I'm just not happy about it. It's doing a national live production at some, like a live stream at some point, and I am ready to take off work and go. But um, yeah, no, I'm, full, I'm fully buying tickets to that. I, friends and I had already discussed it, but like when they announced that it, it would be even played somewhere. <laughs> it's I'm sort of shocked it's taken this long to put on stage. Anyway, it's like it's so made for the stage. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, so I'm sure we'll be talking all about Eve throughout the rest of this episode. So let's move on to the other four best picture nominations. Um... They were Father of the Bride, Sunset Boulevard, Born Yesterday, and King Solomon's Minds. Let's let's go with the one I think we'll have the least to talk about, which is King Solomon's Minds. And um, Marissa, what are your thoughts on King Solomon's Minds? Ooh, I didn't like it. Um, it is uh, about a woman, a, an English lady played by <clears throat> Deborah Kerr, who goes to Africa because her husband a couple years ago basically went on the search for the titular minds. Um, and he like has disappeared. So she goes to Africa and they really went to Africa. Like it's shocking for 1950. They don't really film outside a lot in basically the middle of the century, just because technicolor cameras are really giant. Like they're huge. Um, they're like the size of a fridge. So it's not exactly like fun to move those around like a mountain, let's say. Um, but yeah, um, she goes to the jungle and then some fucking, colonizing white guy talks down to her about Africa for about an hour. And then the rest of it, they, they try to convince us the two of them are falling in love. Um, it's so fucking misogynistic and like imperialistic. It's unbelievable. And it's been remade a bunch of times and it is actually a remake. Um, and, uh, the only thing it has going for it is the, um, the views of Africa and, and African culture, which are really unique to the time because like, you know, usually they would just hire some like <laughs> black people from LA and put them in a dumb costume. And that was like completely not correct for whatever culture they're trying to do in, in, in a sound, 
in a soundstage, but this is really outside, and they 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 went there. It's a, it's unfortunate that de- the delivery system is some fucking asshole guy, um, and then I like have to pretend I care about their love story, but it it's it's it looks great. Cinematography is great. That's all I can say about it, really. No, my two main points watching this movie were, like you said. It makes no sense for them to fall in love. He is so mean to her the whole movie. There's that one scene where she's in a tent and some animal tries to, like, get into her. um, Ah! And (laughs) she screams. He comes in. There are holes in the tent. But he, like, doesn't believe that there was an animal. And I'm like, you're in Africa. Like, it's like, this is not And then he goes outside to look at the fucking scratches in the tent. And he's like, well, why didn't you, like, call for me? She's like... I did, you motherfucker. That's why you're standing here. It's so annoying. I I was hoping the whole time he would die, but of course he does not. And like, it doesn't even make sense for him to fall in love with her because he's so annoyed by everything she does. And then she gets a haircut, and it's a great haircut. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, he's like, like, you know, if I saw Deborah Kerr getting like hair cutting her own hair by a waterfall, sure, yeah, I'd fall in love too. It's just like it immediately. He's like, all is forgiven. She has short hair now. I I am I'm into it. It's wild. But the other thing that really stuck out to me was like, watching it, I was kind of like, how did this get a, like a Best Picture nomination? But you see it. It is spectacle to this insane degree where it still is kind of impressive. Um, We have these conversations so much on film Twitter with with recent examples of spectacle-driven Best Picture nominations like Avatar or Gravity are the two that first come to mind. Um, But I feel like there's one every year. And, um... Like, the whole conversation of, like, oh, like, will they hold the test of time and will people still watch them? Or um, when they go back and watch them 50 years from now, will um, they be like, well, this is this looks bad today compared to Spectacle of Today. But this movie yeah. got me thinking, this is not a perfect rule, but, like, I was still impressed by the spectacle of this. And <laughs> the reasons I didn't like it had nothing to do with that. So it's, like, I think this is an interesting argument for, like, in favor of spectacle-driven Best Picture nominations, if that yeah. makes sense. I, I love a good spectacle. I mean, I think the opposite end of the spectrum, like, this is in the middle, but the opposite end of the spectrum is, like, The Last Emperor, which we talked about last week, where, or, yeah, like, where it it totally won for spectacle. Like, there were 9,000 extras or whatever, and, like, they filmed <laughs> in the Forbidden City for the first time ever. So, like, that is an, that's why that won. But like now it just does not hold up, even though because I guess we've seen more of China now. Do you know like mm-hmm. they opened up after that. So it, it just is a different thing. Um I will say one thing about this, um, the spectacle of it all. Watching um All About Eve, I did feel a little uncinematic in a way of where it just like it really could have been on a stage and nothing nothing about it quite lended itself to being um being a film just because it 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 is so talky, um, mm. and I I don't know if I would have thought about it without like something, uh, seeing this or like and even some of the other ones that are that we're gonna talk about are even even though they're really talky um, and some of them are based on plays, like they felt a little more using of the the like the the medium. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I think that's a very good point because honestly, uh, two of the other films we'll be talking about, I think are more cinematic, but also, like, could just as easily be put on, like, put on stage. Like, it's not, like, they didn't let the fact that they're, in fact, at least one of them was. So, like, um, it doesn't let, it doesn't let the fact that 
it can be staged, prevents it from being cinematic. No, I agree. I think All About Eve definitely does feel um, very stagey to a yeah. almost to a fault, I guess. The only real cinematic moment is the last scene that I can think of, which is a really wonderful scene, but I guess could also be put on stage in a in an equally visually interesting way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that that I think yeah, that that last scene that you actually can do that on stage, that sort of mirror thing because mm-hmm. the house lights are low, but that's such a technical never mind. Where <laughs> 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 you guys aren't here for that. <laughs> it's fascinating though. Um, <clears throat> um so let's I guess there's nothing else really to say about King Solomon's Minds is there. It's it's a movie. watching it was was a rough experience i was like kept checking my clock like when is this over oh okay we're almost there thank god it was under two hours i i feel like i rate some of these movies that we watch um on a on a level of how much am i screaming at the television and this is like a pretty medium one there actually is one more in this in this group that i screamed at more i'm very excited to talk about that one we'll get there um assuming i know i think i know what it is based on letterboxd but you definitely yeah you, you have an idea yeah <laughs> but um all right so let's move on to one called born yesterday which um we'll definitely talk about a lot more when we get to the actress category mm-hmm. but um it is basically pygmalion but or my fair lady but like a 1950s version <laughs> um and i think it's charming i really don't have much to say about it i like until we get to actress, I mean, like, like I'll just say, I think it's charming. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, it's fun. I mean, um, it's Judy Holiday's like, big debut. Um, I had actually never seen Judy in anything, but she does, I mean, it's not, the type was sort of around that sort of high-pitched, talky, like, dumb, dumb blonde sort of thing. Had obviously been around before, you know, mm-hmm. It's it's not like she created it, but it does feel like she influenced it in a huge way because like the whole time I kept thinking like oh this is definitely a hundred percent like what Harley Quinn is doing. Do you know what I mean? Yes, in, in the Batman cartoon. Um, and yeah, and I just I guess I had never realized that. Like I knew that Harley was a type that was being taken from this sort of like you know gun mall. Um, like like Gloria Graham does that kind of thing all the time. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's not like it hadn't existed, but it's 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 almost like Judy takes it and refines it and perfects it, and then becomes the standard by which everyone is compared afterward. Um, and like I I kept thinking like I didn't realize that there was a remake of this with um, our beloved um, Melanie Griffith as the <laughs> Judy Holiday character, and I on, I wish I'd had time to watch it because like that it made so much sense of like oh yeah. Melanie is Judy, but like darker. Do you know what I mean? No, a hundred percent. She basically created, or or defines an archetype of actress that is still going on. Um, mm-hmm. I always confuse her with someone else, but she reminds me so much of Annalee Ashford. The um, oh yeah, totally. Yeah, who like is she's great. This is not shade towards her, but she's entirely just doing Judy Holiday in every single movie or TV show she's yeah. in, and it's wonderful. But it's just. It's entirely because of her. Um, have you seen Adam's Rib, the movie that kind of made her like... No, I haven't. That that also came out this year. Yeah. Um, it hasn't aged well, <laughs> um, I will say. But uh, like in terms of its gender politics are a little... Um, I feel like you'll be screaming at the TV a lot when you watch it. But um, it's an Indeed. interesting movie. And she is... She's quite good in it. And makes a lot with a 
part that doesn't quite make sense, but it's whatever. <laughs> um, so, born yesterday. I mean, it's it's charming. It's on Prime Video, people. For um for free, you can stream it. Like yeah. if you have Prime, do it. It's fun. <laughs> That's the best all I can I can say about it. Yeah, it's it's cute. Um, you know, her and Holden have a weird like chemistry that works. Um, like as as he's a I guess we should tell people what it's about. Um, but it's a uh, <laughs> she's the girlfriend of some like uh, gangstery type who comes to wa- Washington D.C. to like um, get a bunch of um, uh, like politicians to help him get something done and and then he they realize she's a dumbass so uh, he like they like hire a journalist to like make her smarter and then she becomes too smart. And like intelligence is great, and so is education. And it's a weird like I don't really know what to do with that narrative. I don't know if you felt the same way, but like the the like yeah, education is great, and you should know more about your country. But like I should probably balk at the sort of like talking down to the girl in this. But like it's so n- not mansplaining in the same way that like King Solomon's Mines is. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's like actually interested and and I don't know she just pulls it off really well. I mean I think it's part of maybe it's just the performance that, that really does it but um no I think I that's a been, great point. Yeah, I think I should have been more annoyed with it than I was and I I found found it pretty charming, but I don't actually know what to do with like all of the sort of like big ideas it's working with. And, and maybe that's just because of like I don't know things have changed. it's it's such a I don't know so things have changed so much. Like I don't know if we're in a time basically where it's just like, well, we don't really, I don't know if intelligence could ever really win. <laughs> you know I mean? like, it's not as convincing as it once was. Uh, I don't know. Uh, no, I think you made a good point. I think these sort of narratives, cause they, they, I mean, we have so many films with this basic plot of um, like quote unquote unrefined woman gets educated in something. I mean, my fair lady, one best picture. We'll probably, we'll talk about that eventually. Yeah. But, we're going to have to, unfortunately, but like those movies, like My Fair Lady, which I haven't seen in years, but I remember liking it, and then Born Yesterday, they work, I think, because the actresses are so interesting, mm. and, like, the movie never makes you... In, in Born Yesterday's case, the movie never makes you dislike Judy Holliday's character. Like, it is, like, I don't yeah. think she... You know, you might kind of chuckle at, like, the fact that she, like, is, again, like unrefined quote-unquote like she's like has like that gangster girlfriend voice and everything that like the harley quinn voice basically Mm -hmm. um but like it's always very affectionate and the men who are teaching her are depicted as stuffy kind of and like Mm -hmm. not exactly likable so it's it's an interesting balance you have to find i don't like i'm surprised we we don't get more movies with this plot anymore like i this is one that i feel like, again you could easily do every 10 years and have something interesting happen but i think i really think if you were to do it today it wouldn't have that level of um nuance or um affection for the female lead you'd think, have to switch genders yeah i was thinking of like like this sort of plot i'm shocked adam sandler has never done <laughs> like it's like where adam oh, sandler oh, is uh. refined by some by some woman who's way out of his league. <laughs> well, and arguably every movie he, Seth Rogen has ever made is really that movie. Do you know? Well, actually, now that I think about it, um, that thing that's coming out, um, the long shot or long shot is what it's called, almost has that thing. But like, in fact, um, she she just needs to be more likable. Is the problem like? 
it's Charlize Theron and agents and the the president she worked for, and like all she needs to do is be softened, which is actually kind of the only way you can keep the genders as they are and update that thing. You know what I mean? Because like the problem now isn't that women are intelligent; it's that they are hated for not being women enough. That is so true. That movie is kind of like this, and. I'm very excited for that movie. I mean, I'm just, like, here for any studio romantic comedy, um, especially with Charlize Theron. And as someone who openly has an insane crush on Seth Rogen, I find it very funny that oh. that this whole movie is about, like, like um, her being out of his league because I'm like, date me, Seth Rogen, instead. You're in my league. But... <laughs> There's a lot to unpack, people. <laughs> Sorry. Lots to unpack. <laughs> but, um... But anyway, no, that is a very true, like, comparison. I don't know. I'm so curious to see how that movie does and what... Um, I know it premiered at South by Southwest, I think, this weekend that we're recording. but um, Or last weekend, Yeah, maybe. Uh, last weekend, yeah. In fact, uh, we have a South by Southwest review from Sean Cordy, who will be um, on our next episode. Oh, yes, yes, we do. We do. I did not read it. I don't read reviews before I watch the movie. But um, I... Um, I'm very excited for that one. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how it's received and how... Because I have yeah. seen some, just, just through tweets, like some negative reception from um, female film critics. So I'm curious to see if this is going to be like a gendered divide yeah, sort of movie. Yeah, that's what I mean. I think the the, the, the problem, to, to actually get back to our point, is that the that narrative is tough to update in this in this climate, realistically. Because it's it's really, as, as we've seen for the last couple of years, it's not the women who have the problem anymore. <laughs> Right. It's the boys who need to be educated. <laughs> uh, it's going to be a very interesting comparison. Uh, we, we'll return to it. We will have to talk about Longshot um, and discuss if it's this year's boon yesterday or something that we want to forget. Um, but we'll talk about Born Yesterday again in a little bit when we get to Best Actress. Let's talk about Father of the Bride, a movie that has has been remade by Steve Martin and I've never seen the remake, actually. Even though I think I guess it's kind of like a modern, a modern classic, or at least very it's effectively. Probably, you know, it's probably the kind of thing you saw as a kid, but you were so young that you forgot it. But if you watch it now, it's like, oh yeah, I have seen this on television forty-five times. Probably, my parents are big fans of it, so I probably saw it when I was very young. But yeah. um, it is like this one starring Spencer Tracy as the titular father of the bride um whose youngest daughter or um whose daughter is getting married and he has to deal with the experience of getting old and letting go of his daughter um and all those typical things that i guess fathers feel when the daughters get married i don't know not a father yeah but um i've been told (laughs) i've been told this is what they feel (laughs) um like i was shocked at how genuinely charmed i was by this movie and um I kind of went in with weird expectations because this is just the sort of plot that, as you could as you could see by the way I described it, I have no real interest in seeing. I'm kind of like, maybe because I'm not a father, I'm just kind of like, get over it, dads. Like, like your daughter's grown up. But even though she's only 19 in this movie, and I fainted when she said she was getting married at 19. <laughs> but yeah. and, um, and in real life, fucking... Fucking Liz Elizabeth Taylor, who we should note, is only like seventeen or eighteen. So it's it's fucking wild. <laughs> I was having a bit of a quarter life crisis, and then Spencer Tracy says, um, "19 is way too young." I was twenty five, which is how old I am, and I was like, "Good joke." Like 
<laughs> the thought of getting married right now is a good joke. But um, anyway, um, that aside, we can we can unpack all that in another episode. Um, it's really charming and sweet, and never really um, comes off as like gross or weird a pa- at all. A patriarchal disaster, which is what I was expecting. <laughs> yeah, it's like, in fact, I think they really. I guess in an attempt, if I had to guess, like to appeal to modern young audiences, they kind of make the dad look like the silly one in the movie for being so quote unquote old fashioned <laughs> um, and wanted to get married at 25 um, for being so old fashioned. And like the daughter, while occasionally like having moments where she comes off as being like making mountains out of molehills, like there's, there's that one scene where she gets very mad at her fiance for something mm. um where like the, but as we discussed, she was in the right. She and, was and fully, <laughs> fully in, within her right as beautiful Liz Taylor, like literally the most beautiful woman on the planet. To say no, I don't want to go fishing in Nova Scotia for our fucking honeymoon. I want to go to Europe. That's insane. <laughs> you know, I would leave my fiance too, no matter what. Yes, if they recommended He's- going fishing. <laughs> That fucking lunkhead is out of his mind. I don't even know who that actor is. Like, I've looked it up four times. Completely forget. He's a nobody, and he's getting Liz Taylor for the rest of his life. He better calm the fuck down. <laughs> but the, the film is very much like, a, oh, isn't she being silly? And even then, it's done in a way that is at least very sensitive and very... Um, mm-hmm. I, I never It never came off as mean or making her look like, an, like um, a shallow person or anything like that. Um, yeah. No, I found it very, very charming. Spencer Tracy's really great in it. And it has, like, this modern sensibility to some of the humor. Like, there's a great scene that won me over early in the film when he learns that his daughter is in, is engaged. And he's trying to, like, mentally figure out which of the many boys that were, like, suitors it could be. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, That's and it's, really like, a cool. montage of all the different boys who are, like, comically terrible. And... It's like it felt like something that would be on today. Like it's like you don't see that that type of humor that often in the films from the fifties and the forties that we remember. And yeah. I laughed out loud. It was very funny. And many of her suitors were cute, even though they were problematic. And I was like I'm like total oh. disasters. Yeah. Very interesting, very interesting movie. What were your thoughts on it? Even yeah. though I, I guess you've you've been like <laughs> not a spoiler, just what are your thoughts? <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I liked it a lot. I, I really did think it was going to be a total disaster. And honestly, the, the, I guess it's the nineties one is, um, actually worse. I think is age worse, <laughs> oddly enough, in, in terms of its gender politics. Cause he's like, that one makes a real thing about him being like really, um, like ownershipy of over his daughter in a way that feels borderline sexual. And this one doesn't at all. He just is like protective. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. he's, he's watching a little girl become a woman and he's like, wow, like, time has passed. You know what I mean? Like, it's very nostalgic, not not sort of, like, oddly incestuous. Um, but I, was, I thought it was surprisingly funny. I mean, Spencer Tracy is phenomenal in it. Mm-hmm. He gets to, like, he is technically our, our main character, and he, like, talks to the screen a lot, breaks the fourth wall. Um, and he's just funny as shit. And I have to say, the thing I, I thought the, was the funniest in it was this, that, that like, subplot about him. Um, he has an old uh, tux or I guess it's like a top hat and tails um, that he wore years ago. And he's like, Oh, I could just use the one I used to wear. And his wife is like, honey, you're a little bigger now. And he's like, no, I'm not. And he like squeezes himself into this fucking, (laughs) this fucking, (laughs) this fucking suit. And then like could barely move. And then they're, they have to like take down a wall basically to like get 
the have the wedding happen in the house because there's just like they're gonna fit so many people um and he he like is trying to open a door and he rips through the sweater after like this 20 minute almost like long-standing joke and it's such a good like delivery on a joke um Mm -hmm. and i I haven't obviously i haven't read the book apparently it's based based off a book um but i i assume some of that's in there but like it's the delivery of it that's so good and like everybody's very good in this like even liz taylor who this is her first appearance on the pod but will not be the last um no 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 is like (laughs) yeah (laughs) oh my god um it's like she's in a competition for most Oscar person um, or like Oscar <laughs> general person. Uh, but yeah, like even even her stuff is like, like you said, she's not ever treated really like it, like a total idiot. Like, you know, the closest thing is the the honeymoon thing. Um, mm-hmm. But even then, it's like, I don't know. She's right. A hundred percent. Yeah. And she seems like a little adult in it, you know, like, I mean, Liz Taylor had been working for longer than most people at this point. So she is a little adult, but like, you know, the character seems pretty mature. She knows what she wants and, and she's ready to get married, whatever. Um, sure. She dated some frogs in the past, but she figured it out, you know, at the ripe old age of 19. Um, yeah. But yeah, I love that old suit scene. Um, and Joan Bennett as the wife is really, really good. Like she's wonderful in it. Like it's such a good performance. Yeah. She play, they play off each other so well, and it's like it's she's not given much of a character, but she manages to make it like you feel how maternal she is and how like lovely and caring she is. And it's a great, yeah, it's great work. Her best moment is um, or pretty early on when when uh, he's like, "Why are you guys getting married in a church?" And because he's like, we got married in a courthouse or whatever. And then like the kids leave or, or whatever it is. And and then the wife is like, you know, I actually kind of would have wanted that. And it's just this like really um, lovely moment about like, I mean, I, I'm not I'm not into that whole wedding complex thing. I actually hate weddings. Um, I've been in one wedding, but that's because I've told most of my friends, please do not put me in your wedding. I'll buy you a very nice gift because <laughs> I've been to like three dozen weddings probably in my lifetime. I have a large family. Um, so I just hate them. But she she makes this lovely argument. There's a siren. <laughs> they people somebody heard me defending weddings and they're like, oh, she's having a stroke. Um, <laughs> like she has this great thing where she's like, I wish we'd gotten married in a church and I want that big thing with the family. And like there is there is like really a, an appeal in the sort of um, tradition of it all. But I do love at the end when um, he's trying to like. Spencer Tracy is just like trying to say something to Liz on her wedding day and just be like, you know, congratulations. And he literally never gets to talk to her, which is just like, it's so tragic. Mm-hmm. But also a mood for how weddings are. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. No, and the suit scene's wonderful. As someone who has intense anxiety whenever I have to wear anything remotely formal about making sure it doesn't rip. <laughs> I, it like, it triggered all my anxieties, but I was like, it's true. Like that it he's great. What a good movie. It's yeah. so it's so nice and fun. There it yeah. was funny. I feel like it is it is worth noting by the way that like Liz is like 19 in this and there's all this talk about like getting married. I forgot to mention this earlier, but she had literally like in real life Liz Taylor had already been married and divorced by this time. Like she got married in 1950 and by the time the Oscars aired, she was already divorced from Nikki Hilton, like of the Hiltons. What a the fifties were wild. That's all I have to say. An icon, a true, true icon. <laughs> Good for her, honestly. Like, <laughs> God. Um. Well, and if we're on the subject of remakes, which we've talked about with basically all of these. Um, I did while looking up stuff about the about Father of the Bride. Find, find, um, I found out that 
they wanted to make a Father of the Bride sequel to, oh, with Steve Martin's son getting married to a man. And I was like, give me this movie. Change the title, please. <laughs> but give me that movie. I want that that film. <laughs> um, we need more movies about gay weddings, people. Um, anyway, our last film, the film I think we're probably going to have the most to talk about, is Sunset Boulevard, the classic Hollywood story of an silent film star trying to stage her her comeback and the screenwriter who's begrudgingly i guess helping helping her do it i've already got on the record of being of loving this movie but i want to hear marissa's take on it because as we, we alluded to before her letterbox review i think is very interesting i was furious um i love this i loved this movie when i first saw it and i've seen it like half a dozen times since then there are a lot of things i like about it um but the thing that struck me this time post Me Too was how much I hate Bill Holden in it, which I have never experienced before this moment. Like, I I was watching the movie going on a full journey of um, – for those who don't know what it's about. Um, it's about this old movie star who uh, – or it's about this journalist who in the first scene, he's, he's murdered. He's floating in a pool. And you don't know who murdered him, but then we go on this journey of him – meeting this old like silent film star um, played by Gloria Swanson um, and then befriending her essentially. And then um, basically just exploiting this old woman who is uh, clearly off her rocker and like misses the fame that she once had um, uh, into basically just taking her money so that he can pretend to write a Salome picture for her or edit her screenplay of a Salome picture. Um, and I don't know, I just, I really hated him this time. He just seemed like, like the the whole point of this movie is that it's this send up of Hollywood. And, and you know, um, Wilder got in trouble for that when he wrote it. But I, it's not really a send up of Hollywood as it is a send up of the shitty men who just like dismiss a woman when she's over 50. Um in Hollywood and Holden is that person. He's this mediocre screenplay writer who's never, who's never really had a hit and he doesn't even write a good screenplay within this film. The only time he gets to write a good screenplay is when a woman comes in to doctor it, a woman who can't write her own screenplays cause she's a woman. Um, <laughs> like it's, he's just this shithead who like sees an older woman who is literally like 55 by the way. Um, and, like, decides, like, this is my meal ticket. Um, and he's awful to her the whole time. He treats her like some ghoul, which the movie sort of makes her into. But realistically, he's the meanest one of all to her. Like, the when she goes back to the studio at one point, mistakenly thinking that they want to hire her for a picture, everybody is so happy to see her. Men, directors, everyone is happy to see her. It's this younger douchebag who, like thinks he's God almighty. That is the problem. And the thing about it is that's the guy who took over Hollywood is not this like, or, or really runs Hollywood. I mean, you know, that, that, that idea of like the studio heads and everybody being nice to her is sort of a, a false, but it, it's like, it's indicative of like, this is the, these are the assholes who like are in this industry. And I was so fucking happy when he died at the end. I was like, kill this motherfucker today like please do it he is the worst person um it also doesn't help that betty schaefer who is the girl the script doctor girl who like 
basically makes him think that he's a good person um, is very much a um, a like a Gene Arthur and and Miss, Mr. Smith goes to Washington for me. It's like it's such a good as we have as I've previously discussed. I have such a like fan love of um, like <laughs> a Girl Friday with snappy dialogue and a, and a nice pencil skirt. So this was like, again, I was like, get away from her. You bastard. Like I love Nancy Olsen. And this is like one of the only things she did basically. She's so good. So good in this movie. Um, and it's, it's very interesting watching, um, this time for me, her, like, I mean, it's a love story, I guess, but it's barely a love story. Like her relationship with William Holden. And, um, I was just like, you have a dorky fiance guy back home who's like seems sweet. Go date him. William Holden is trash, trash in this movie. But, right, and um, he's like her 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 fiance is never literally mean to her face in the way Holden is. He's just like he seems like a dork. Like every time her fiance is on screen, he makes some bad joke, and I'm like, that could get annoying. But he seems sweet. I don't know. But um, no, it's very interesting to me watching this movie because I I saw your letterbox review. And then watched it a few days later, and I was I was interested to go back and explore, like who I thought the film was trying to sympathize with or make the mm-hmm. audience sympathize with, because it's something that truly like I never really pitched to before, I, and I never particularly sympathized with anyone in it. I more just was kind of like wrapped up in the whole experience of the script and the sets and everything. Um, yeah, but I do definitely think like. William Holden's character is just so hateable in this movie. Like, he is such yeah. a dick. And I love, love the scene when uh, Gloria John- Gloria Swanson um, goes back to set. And, like, you see the real disconnect between the people that remember her and are just so happy to see her on screen. And the people um, who are younger or coded as younger and, like aren't particularly moved by her being there and it's such a lovely moment i love the way and he's playing himself which is kind of insane to think that i mean maybe i'm just misinterpreting his presence in this movie but no um, i think he is i think he is like you have cecil demille in this movie in that scene really in my mind coming off as someone who's like the power player in hollywood who has like this insane amount of of control as to who can have can be relevant and who can't be and he comes off in my mind maybe just this is just a modern one looking bad almost and it's sort of fascinating to think that like this was the version of hollywood he was he was uh, um billy wilder that is like spinning for a movie it's fascinating and Mm -hmm. i think really ahead of its time um because even today like the whole joke is that um the academy loves hollywood movies but um and i mean i think that's 100 percent true but yeah, they do love to a little bit of navel, navel gazing for sure. Yeah, but the movies that resonate today are the ones that are either glowing depictions of Hollywood, or if they're not glowing, are a little more um, like I, I, you, know, you know negative, but not incredibly negative. Like it's like a few acknowledgments okay. of like, oh, there are problems, but there's so much good stuff in Hollywood. And this one... Right, it's just like realistic about the, the, the pros and cons, realistically. And this one, like, the everything from the sets, especially in um, the, the Nor- Norma's mansion, it's like mm-hmm. this distorted dream vision of Hollywood, and it's very interesting. The last scene, the famous scene of her descending on the stairs, is gorgeous. Like, it is a yeah, gorgeous, incredible. weird, deeply unsettling 
well-acted moment that I fully love. And I still don't know if I necessarily sympathize with... I mean, I sympathize with with Norma's situation as a whole and, like, the forces at play. And I think you see the misogyny... Like, the the misogyny that plays into her um, not being able to have a career after Silent Pictures went away and she became... What, turned 55? But... uh, Which still happens, I guess, today, so we shouldn't laugh. Like, like I I think it's... There's, like, no... There's, like, three actresses (laughs) over 55 that are relevant and they're all fighting with Meryl Streep. um, And they all are in Big Little Lies because they helped each other get there. You know what I mean? It's, like... Wild. They're not over fifty five, but you know what I mean. I mean, they they have been on the record saying they did Big Little Lies because they're not getting movies anymore, which is insane. But um, they're like they're forty five, maybe. But um, yeah, God, Hollywood. <laughs> but um, no, I I really do love this movie. It has aged very well for me. Um, we should talk about our girl Glenn. <laughs> um. Is staging oh, yeah. a, re- a remake of this? Ha- well, have you ever so Glenn Glenn Close for those who don't know? Um, I almost said Glenn Coco, and that would have been very embarrassing <laughs> for all involved. Um, Glenn Close um, did a musical adaptation of Sunset Boulevard on stage by Andrew Andrew Lloyd Webber, and um, yeah. and she's revived it once or twice since then, like yeah. since the original, I think. I think the original was in the 90s, and then it was very recently that brought back to Broadway, like 2016, I believe. Um, yeah. Have you ever seen her on – have you ever seen any production of it on stage or – No, I am – I am – my 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 relationship with Andrew Lloyd Webber is evolving, and I think all of ours is. Yes. <laughs> um, I, I think we're all realizing that the 80s and 90s were a very different time and musicals were bad. <laughs> Uh, and and he's responsible for many of the hits from that time. So like when it came out, you know, when they revived it a couple years ago, I had a friend who was like, I mean, it's it's the same thing as what they did in the 90s. And like you like, I don't know. I just it just didn't seem like something um, I had time for in my life <laughs> at that point. Um, I kind of regret that now, although if it gets made into a movie, who cares? You know, it seems like it's finally happening. Like they're finally making a movie of it. It's been rumored for so long, and so many different directors um, yeah. have been attached to it, including Ryan Murphy, which would have been amazing. But um, like now, it's—I don't know how to have the name. It's someone who's never worked in film, just stage. And um, I think the narrative is there now for her to for them to finally actually put the money towards it because she wants. It does an feel like there's a. Yeah, I was going to say, it does feel like an industry-wide push to get the woman an Oscar. Like, they're like, all right, we did this now. We're done. We have to get... We, we just have to do it. it it's, that's it. We're done. I think I more want a movie about her being on the set of Sunset Boulevard and just, like, being like, we're fucking doing it this time, people. Like, yeah. I'm getting a fucking Oscar. And, I mean, she deserves one, honestly. I'm already ready to stand for her um, once th- this movie is released. But... It is very interesting how Sense of Boulevard, I think, has taken on a whole new life today because of this musical, but only because of Glenn Close's presence in the musical. I do, I cannot name a single song from that musical score, which is wild to me because Andrew Lloyd Webber, if anything, is that songwriter whose songs are memorable, but the plays themselves are not. Like, everyone knows memory, but if you ask people to describe the plot of Cats they'd be like oh like i don't really know because any of that musical has no plot and- <laughs> the plot the plot is wild that's why because when somebody tells you about it you're like 
you, they're all the cats are fighting to go to see which one goes to heaven. I don't understand. <laughs> God, get ready for when the cats is released, people, and we talk about it on too early Oscar podcast, too early Oscar podcast, because it's going to be wild. Um, yeah, the director will be Rob Ashford, who has such laudable credits as The Sound of Music Live and Peter Pan Live. So, oh boy, this is going to be a nightmare. <laughs> I am very curious, and I'm looking forward to, even if it's terrible, everyone just fully ignoring that fact because we want them close to get an Oscar. We basically did that with The Wife. Not to, sh- not to shade The Wife, but we all pretended Again. that movie. Yeah, we all pretended that movie was much better than it actually was. Definitely. Which is fair, because, you know, we love Glenn, but, um, so, on that note, let's go back and talk about the different categories, um, let's start with, let's start with actor, um, or should we just, we just talk about picture, so should we say who we'd vote for in this picture lineup? Oh, um, yeah, sure, go ahead. I, I do think it's a close call for me between All About Eve and Sunset Boulevard, I um, I really love them both, but I have to give it to Sunset Boulevard. It is just a movie that I think ha- is consistently mind-blowing to me every time I watch it. I love it so much. Yeah, um, I don't... I, I'm a little... I'm on the fence on this one. Um, I think it has to be all about Eve, um, just because I was so angry at... <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, at Sunset Boulevard, but I almost kind of want to say Father of the Bride is the one I kind of have the most affection for at this moment, which is weird. I mean, I think it's just because it's new. Do you know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. a recency bias kind of thing. Um, but yeah, either either one of those. I I, I think it I, inevitably it has to be All About Eve because All About Eve is like indelible. There's it's everybody is playing at like a hundred percent. You know, all of those actors are perfect in it. So yeah, it's All About Eve. Good. It's a good lineup this year, um, and a lot of comedies, which is so rare. I mean, I guess like Sunset Boulevard and All About Eve are comedy adjacent, but yeah. if we were living in a Golden Globe era, they'd be submitted in comedy. <laughs> <laughs> um, actor in a leading role. The winner for that year was um, Jose Fer- Ferrer um, mm-hmm. for Cyrano de Bergerac, which I actually watched for this podcast. Um, and the other nominees were Louis Calhoun for The Magnificent Yankee. William Holden for Sunset Boulevard, James Stewart for Harvey, and Spencer Tracy for Father of the Bride. I have never seen Magnificent Yankee, so I have to remove that one from consideration, but I gotta give it to Spencer Tracy. I think Spencer Tracy is so, so funny in in Father of the Bride. What about you? Same. I totally agree. It should be Spencer Tracy. Like, I didn't didn't see Cyrano... um, but I, I am comforted to know that you would also choose Tracy because he's just so good. It's like a, a fabulous role. It's fabulous. He's so good. Comedic performances, which we're, we're like getting a lot of buzz, like um, buzz on Twitter this week. There was that trending meme of like, what comedic performances would you nominate for mm-hmm. an Oscar? And this is one that I'm like, I mean, it was nominated, but it's it's funny to me that it didn't win. He should have won. He should have won. Um, I will say Jose Fer- Ferrer is pretty good. Cyrano de Bergerac, de Bergerac is a weird movie, um, and it, like I was shocked if you, it shocked to know it was from the fifties because um, the if, if you told me it was from like nineteen thirty two, I would think it's real because it it is one of the most dated movies to look at <laughs> that I have watched in recent memory. But he he's good in it, and I like William Holden in Sunset Boulevard. I am not a fan of Harvey. That movie for some reason 
really rubs me the wrong way. Have you ever seen that? Um, um, I don't think I have, actually. There's a lot of affection for it. I think revived when, um, what's his name? Um, Big Bang Theory guy, Jim Parsons, um, revived it on Broadway. And, oh, that's why I know it. Okay. Yeah. And I, so I watched it when that was happening and I was like, I don't get it, but I'm happy people like it. Good for, good for those who do. It does seem like fun Donnie Darko. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Watch that double feature. <laughs> <laughs> um, after a supporting role, the nominees were, the, the winner was George Sanders for All About Eve. The nominees were Eric Von Stroheim for Sunset Boulevard, Sam Jet. Jaffe for the Ash- Asphalt Jungle, Edmund Gwen for Mister Eight, Mister Eight Eighty, and Jeff Chandler for Broken Arrow. I've only seen All About Eve and Sunset Boulevard, so I feel weird voting. But I'm George Sanders is on another level, and I'm going to give it to him. Yeah, yeah, I'm not going to take it for George Sanders. I love George Sanders. He's he's great. He's a he's a bitch in this movie, and he is a bitch in real life. By the way, I looked up his um his uh suicide note it's literally i'm gonna i'm gonna just read it dear lord or dear world i am leaving because i am bored i feel i have lived long enough i am with you, i'm leaving you with your worries in this sweet cesspool good luck like he was that person like he just channeled his real life into that into that like all about eve performance so yeah i'm not going to take it away from him he's great in that movie the way people spoke back then or in this case wrote is on another level. Like, <laughs> um, okay, wow, George. It's the most brutal thing I've ever read. And, like, his whole memoir is like that. Like, that's just really sharp writing. It's insane. Um, let's end with Best Actress, because okay. there's a lot to talk about. So we'll go down to Best Actress in a Supporting Role. The winner was Josephine Hull for Harvey, and the nominees were Hope Emerson for Caged, Thelma Ritter for All About Eve, Celeste Holm for All About Eve, and Nancy Olsen for Sunset Boulevard. Um, I really love Celeste Holm in All About Eve, actually. I think, like, there's something so interesting about playing the most normal character in a mm-hmm. in a script, and she does it so well. She does, There's so much, like, subtle character work in the movie where, like, she just, she's like a, a very richly defined character. So I'm going to go with Celeste. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I I, I kind of can see an argument for a lot of these. Josephine Hall is is very is like I, I didn't actually see that performance, but like it's kind of that career Oscar thing because she was a film silent film star, and she was also in Arsenic and Old Lace, which is a great film um, as one of the old the old poisoning ladies. Um, but yeah, it's tough. Like I I think Celeste Holm is probably the winner. Like deserves it the most for me. But I I do love Nancy. I mean, that's again well established at this point. <laughs> so like. And also, like, Nancy never got uh, anything else, so it would have been sort of nice to, to see that. But, yeah, it's it's impossible not to give it to Celeste Holmes. She's great in it. That whole middle section of the film is really about her and her, like, her machinations and the way she sort of eventually creates, uh, makes Eve get, finally get that, you know, turn into a star by, un, unintentionally. She's wonderful. And Nancy also, yeah. very good performance. And it's like, she has them, I mean... She and William Holden have the more, like, straight characters to play, like, and mm-hmm. she does such a wonderful job. Great ingenue performance. Um, yeah, totally. So now let's talk about the ladies. Um, oh, we gotta talk about, talk about director. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, hold on. IMDb does not have it right after the acting, which is very rude. Um, the nominees for Best Director are 
the winner, Joseph Mankiewicz. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I'm terrible at pronouncing names. Yeah, that's I'm actually sorry. it. Yeah, that's oh, it. damn. Okay, that's good it. Good for me. I'm going to celebrate. Um, for All About Eve, Carol Reed for The Third Man, John Houston for The Asphalt Jungle, um, Billy Wilder for Sunset Boulevard, and George Cooker for Born Yesterday. I re- I'm going to go with Carol Reed, actually, for The Third Man, which is a movie that I fucking love. And yeah. it's insane to me that the first time we're bringing it up is an hour into our podcast. <laughs> Truly! No, 100%. I fully agree. It's the one of the most well-directed films of all time. It's insane that Carol Reed doesn't win it. Like, Mankiewicz probably wins it for also writing the film. Um, mm-hmm. Like, it's a combo. You know what I mean? Like, the fact that he conceived of this whole thing is incredible. But yeah, it's 100%. Carol Reed is the best director in this group. Third Man is so good. That movie... Fully blew my mind the first time I watched it. We watched it in um I took um for as an as like an elective when I was in college, I took a screen a screenwriting course just for fun. And yeah. the professor who actually wrote a Brie Larson movie from before she was famous. Um, um Is it short term twelve? <laughs> no, 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 no. It was something called um Oh, I have to look it up later. It's it sorry, Lucy Liu and Brie Larson and Michael C. Hall and he was very bitter about it not becoming a famous movie. But um, wow. he showed us a bunch of movies um, in the screenwriting class. And they were all like Christopher Nolan movies and then Third Man. And Third Man really blew my mind. <laughs> in that, It was like the, the one thing that made, that redeemed that very silly class that I took. <laughs> um, but no, great movie. And a pretty good lineup. I've never seen The Asphalt Jungle, but um, it's cool to see George Cooker being nominated for Born Yesterday when... Like comedic films rarely ever get that attention, yeah. and I mean Billy Wilder. I I will never begrudge him a nomination. I love him. Yeah, um, I wanted to make time for Jungle, um, also because it's got um a, another um Marilyn Monroe supporting role. Yeah, I I need to um check that one out. There's a lot a lot on here that I would love to check out, including Samson and Delilah, and um just because that was brought up a little bit in Inside Oscar. And mm-hmm. I was I was happy I got the time to watch Cyrano de Bergerac, even though it ended up being so <laughs> whatever to me. Um, yeah, I actually ended up watching another like extra film that we'll 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 talk about. You know, oh it's it's hard to watch all these films, people. Yeah, we got jobs, people. We try. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Um, so now the ladies, best actress in a leading role. The winner was Julie, Judy Holiday, who um, I think is sort of fascinating. Was like. Around the time this movie was released, linked up to the communism scare going through Hollywood, and there was like a pushback against her because they thought she might have been a communist, and then a lot of rallying in Hollywood because she wasn't. And I just love that whole era of just like wild, wild fear about communists. I wish we had a better movie than Hail Caesar to sum it up, or Trumba, God. Um, shade oh, towards God. Trumbo is bad. Yeah. Shade towards the Coens and people trying to be the Coens. Um, <laughs> but I do. So Judy Holiday won. Good performance. Um, yeah. Other nominees were Betty Davis for All About Eve, Gloria Swanson for Sunset Boulevard, Anne Baxter for All About Eve, and Eleanor Parker for Caged. I want to say my winner would be Gloria Swanson. I think she's brilliant. But I want to bring up something that you mentioned in your letterbox review of All About Eve, where mm. Anne Baxter is on another level in All About Eve. Yeah. <laughs> and any other year, I would throw Oscars at Anne Baxter. It is She's so good in that movie. 
it just happens to be that she's up against Gloria Swanson, who I think is giving one of my favorite performances ever. Um, and I mean, like, it's, again, it's, the, I mentioned at the beginning, this is a very gay year for the Oscars. They're all gay years, but this is a very gay year. And it, that, like, it's just an iconic performance that queer men have adopted <laughs> as their own in Sunset Boulevard. And I love her to death. But Anne Baxter, amazing. What a year. If we had to have a tie yeah. for Best Actress, should have been this year. Even yeah. though neither of them I mean, would have won. Should... <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you stole my talking point, but yeah, Ann Baxter should have won it. Um, I think Gloria is great, but, um, Ann Ann Baxter has to do so much in this, like in the same way that, um, like the favorite, uh, comparison is very useful here because she's doing the same kind of thing that, or the, that what, what Emma Stone did in the favorite of this like mercurial insane person who literally has to change, change her whole personality every scene like to fit whatever sociopathic <laughs> needs the other people in the room need. So it's, it's a brilliant performance and she's really good in it. Um, and like, yeah, realistically any of these women could have won and it would have been fine. Like all of them are great. Like Judy holiday really introduces a type. Like mm-hmm. I totally get why she wins. Um, and Swanson probably should have won. And, and Judy clearly thought to, that too. Cause she like at the awards cried, <laughs> like could not stop crying because she felt so bad about winning it over Gloria Swanson. Um, and they were like in the room together. Um, so like that's, that just sucks. <laughs> it's really tough, you know? But according to um, Inside Oscar, at least, Gloria Swanson was a very good sport about it and seemed very right. happy for um, Judy well, Holiday. It's, it's very much, it's very much that, you know, Glenn Close, Olivia Coleman thing this year of like, you know, talent respects talent. Um, she knows it's not her fault. So like, it's tough, but like you know, Olivia Coleman basically started her 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 speech being like, "Sorry about this, Glenn Close." <laughs> I yeah. love when people on award shows apologize to the person who everyone thought should win. I think my favorite—it's not even in the Oscars—but when Adele apologized to Beyonce for winning Album of the Year, I was like, "This is amazing! Like, this should always." Everyone happen. felt that they were like what the fuck is going on and then she was really like no you made the best album of my whole life i don't understand what's happening right now um yeah no i, I mean i still think i still kind of would have chosen ann baxter just because i think that performance is so great um but yeah i mean any of those women could win it is what a year I, every i feel like every year we've talked about so far has been such a good year for actresses and I don't know. I just like how could anyone care about the boys for Oscar season when you have the, when you have ladies giving these wild performances? Um, yeah. oh, love it, Betty Davis, amazing. We'll talk about her. So, either her or Elizabeth Taylor. We'll be talking about the most, I think, as we go through these years. Yeah. Um, so the final categories we really wanted to talk about, as we always do, we highlight these um, some other. Uh, different nominations. We want to talk about art direction and cinematography because in the 50s, or at least in 1950, I did not see what year they stopped doing this, um, they separated those categories by a black and white and color. And it leads to some very interesting nominations that I think um, sum up the what makes those different movies appealing, for lack of a better word. Um, so, like, art direction um, for art direction color... The nominees were Samson and Delilah, Annie Get Your Gun, and Destination Moon, which not none of which I've seen. Have you seen any of those? Um, let me re- look at that list again. Um, I've seen Annie Get Your Gun, 
Destination Moon, I think I've seen too, actually, years and years ago in a class. Oddly enough, the only one I haven't seen is Samson and Delilah, but the, but that's I don't, I don't love a I don't love a biblical picture, honestly. I don't blame you. Um, and I feel like that I, one I probably is. I'm, oof. <laughs> I'm not surprised at one though, because I'm sure there's crazy shit. I mean, realistically, at some point he has to bring the whole city down <laughs> over his head. <laughs> so I'm sure the fucking art direction in that is incredible. And all those pictures always have great um, art direction. You know, they have to create a time period, and and they're all done on studio sets for the most part. But um, you know, they're colorful, and they're they have to do this crazy shit, and it's all like period stuff. So yeah, I I can totally understand why that one. The biblical pictures of that era have some really stunning sets, and I'm very excited to talk about some of the other ones as we move through yeah. these years. Um, in terms of art direction for Black and White, there's Sunset Boulevard, which was the ultimate winner, All About Eve, and the Red Dan- Danube. Uh, ooh, I, Danube. Yeah. Danube. Danube. Okay. Have you seen that one? Uh, no, no, that's actually the only one I haven't seen in the, yeah. the group, obviously. It's great that Sunset Boulevard got on there because what a set. Um, I'm a little surprised yeah. with all, like all about Eve sets never particularly struck me as being something worth writing home about, but I guess um, there's something to admire there, maybe. <laughs> yeah, it is a little odd. I mean, maybe they just need. I I I, I, I might have chosen if I had to pick a black and white picture, I probably would have chosen a, a Father of the Bride, realistically, mm. um, over over all about Eve because there's there's just more going on in in every you know the the set is such a thing um mm-hmm. but yeah sunset boulevard totally deserves it i mean it's those those old houses existed um and they still exist obviously in the hollywood hills um and like you really get the sense that like it's it is dracula's mansion but it is also really a um something that a, a silent film star who wouldn't who would have been making fabulous amounts of money because taxes didn't exist then for that kind of thing um <laughs> that's that that is the whole point of all that is that the reason those silent film stars had such giant houses is because there were there weren't they weren't being taxed um and then eventually people realized like oh we got to tax those guys and then that's why after the silent era basically everybody is is still fabulously wealthy but less less so um and they also, but yeah, that that shit is great. I think I'll, I'll, I think it totally deserves that. And they also, for Sunset Boulevard, build for a smaller period of time, but they build a set of a biblical movie basically <laughs> to film mm-hmm. on, which is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then cinematography, also separated by black and white and color. Um, the the real thing I want to talk about is cinematography black and white, where. Sunset Boulevard and All About Eve were both nominated, as were The Furies and The Asphalt Jungle, neither of which we... Had. I mean, have you seen The Furies, or...? Um, no, I don't think I have. Yeah. Um, you know, good, a good batch of nominations, at least for Sunset Boulevard and All About Eve, but The Third Man, which is the winner of Best Cinematography Black and White, is honestly one of the best-looking movies, I think, I've ever watched probably if I had to make like a top 10 list it is a yeah, it's completely true the filmmaking is so sophisticated it doesn't feel like it's 1950 it should be like this like late 60s it's it's so sophisticated I mean there's that one perfect shot um twitter uh twitter account and um mm-hmm. I feel like they have a third man shot like once a week basically and I always look forward to it, e- it every is... shot in the third man is perfect if you have like every single man, shot if you're listening and haven't watched The Third Man, go watch it. It's wonderful. It is so good. Um, that um, Criterion Blu-ray being discontinued was a real downer for me. But I do have it on Blu-ray from whoever <laughs> released it afterward. Um, 
And then cinematography color, King Solomon's Mind's won, and uh, beating Annie Get Your Gun, Broken Arrow, Samson and Delilah, and The Flame and the Arrow. It's funny how all them, <laughs> a lot of these spectacle movies sound like such like cliche spectacle titles, like The Flame and the Arrow, and um, Broken Arrow and everything. Like, it's like... What an what an era for spectacle movies the fifties were, but um, I mean, King Solomon's Mind's pretty good looking movie, I guess. I would I I don't begrudge that win. <laughs> yeah, uh, they had to they had to drag a giant camera again. Can't express enough how giant the cameras were at this point. Um, it it through through Africa and outside. All of these other things are based probably done on a stage. There's no way this doesn't deserve the win. I, I don't even need to see the other ones. Um, it's gorgeous. Like, not a film I like, but you can't deny the filmmaking. All, literally all of these, I, I assure you, were, were made on a, a soundstage other than this one. <laughs> and that's probably what got it to win. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm sure it is. <laughs> um, so let's talk about other films from the 50s we would nominate. Uh, there are two I kind of want to... Um, name check, not including the third man, which we've already sung the praises for. Um, I, I'm a fan of Rashomon, um, the Akira Kurosawa film from, oh, the, yeah, sure. from the era. Uh, I mean, I, I truly will plead ignorance. I don't know how foreign language films really competed at the Oscars in the 50s, so I can't even say if it had, like, a legitimate chance um, to, like, to compete with that, but um, mm-hmm. it, it's interesting. I have Letterboxd open, which is how I keep track of what movies from the, from that year I have seen, and they arranged the films in like order of most watched from that year. And Rashomon is the second most watched film on their website from 1950, second to Sunset Boulevard. So I, it is one of the films that I think defines that year in movies. It's definitely just defined cinema culture from like like potentially pretentious um, cinema people. But I do love that one. But the other film that I really, really think is amazing and makes a very good companion piece to Sunset Boulevard um, is In a Lonely Place, the Humphrey Bogart movie, um, where he plays a screen a screenwriter who whose girlfriend believes he might have committed a murder. And what a movie. <laughs> that is a movie that I have watched multiple times. I think it is just a... Terrific thriller. I think it's Humphrey Bogart's best performance, to be honest. And it's very interesting to me that it did not register at all with the Academy Awards that year. So, I don't know. Very very good year for film as a whole. In a Lonely Place, wonderful movie. Watch it, everybody. What about you, Marissa? Yeah. Uh, That actually is one of mine. I have two I want to talk about. And uh, In a Lonely Place is one of the ones I rewatched first. Because it is one of the great like noirs of all time um i think the the problem the reason it probably got ignored for the most part is because it was an independent feature at the time Mm. technically um and they i i assume the studios did not want to acknowledge independent features at that point (laughs) um uh but yeah in a lonely place is like one of the greatest films of all time truly it's so good um it's a fantastic thriller the script is perfect um, I think you're right about it being Bogey's best performance. And Gloria Graham gives an all-time great performance in it because at this point in her career, she'd been playing gun malls and, like, um, you know, bad girls. But she is kind of not the bad girl. She is bad. You know she'd done bad shit. <laughs> but she's, like, 
she's a good she's like technically like you know being possibly corrupted by her uh, possibly murderous boyfriend the cinematography and production design is incredible like talk about great black and white cinema or um well yeah black and white cinematography and production dot design like the you spend a lot of time in two in in their apartments basically because they live across from each other in the same like little bungalow um and the you it feels like real apartments i mean it's great Mm -hmm. um yeah and like gloria is so good like honestly it's incredible how good she is in that movie it's like the first i think it was the first thing i saw her in and it blew me the hell away i was like god who is this woman she's phenomenal um and yeah like nicholas deray nicholas ray directed it perfectly although it is there's this funny moment where there's this um i always think of it because i saw it in a class um this way but there's a moment where um they break the 360 degree rule but the movie is so good that you don't notice so like you like somebody taught it to me basically being like um this movie is like they there are rules about filmmaking and but you can break them if your film is good enough and this film is good enough to break the 360 or like i'm sorry not 360 180 degree rule like fully breaks it in the middle of a very intense scene but you don't even notice it because it's just you're so compelled by the performances and everything in it like it's just a great movie um but the other one i also watched for this year um was silk stockings which is a musical um starring Judy Garland and Gene Kelly and Judy, like they had to, they had to just, this was, it was a movie that was like going to be her last MGM picture. Um, and she, they like basically like in order to support her way through it, cause she was having, she was in a pretty bad place at this point. Um, basically just surrounded her with like friends of hers to get her through this final picture. And it's, it's a, a for some reason I had remembered it as not being great, but it's, mostly great um it has the infamous um get happy uh number which everybody has probably seen um and she looks yeah right at this point like pause the podcast and watch the goddamn get happy number for fuck's sake (laughs) um it's like one of the most brilliantly directed musical numbers of all time and there's a lot of really good musical numbers in it um it is it's funny and Judy's great in it and uh yeah it's it's a great little musical I I I encourage people to watch it um I can see why in this year it didn't get nominated though because it's like look at this year like certainly of the two in a lonely place makes a better argument for itself but the silk stockings is a lot of fun or not silk stockings I've been calling it that the whole time it's summer stock (laughs) what am I saying I've been watching silks I watch we talked about silk stockings the other day because of Ninochka, um, and I also rewatched it. And it's boy, it's bad. Um, it's <laughs> called Summer Stock. That was my bad. Sorry, everyone. Um, <laughs> too many stocks, uh, stock musicals. <laughs> I was, I actually was like looking up silk stockings as you were talking, and I was like, I was like, oh, I don't see Judy Garland in the cast. <laughs> but then, yeah, uh, I was like, maybe it's an IMDb thing. And then, I, and then that makes sense. Okay, cool. No, yeah, it's <laughs> I, fully, it's fully summer stock, and I was looking at it the whole time. But I, I watched Silk Stockings like last night out of, or the other night out of curiosity. I was like, yep, still bad. <laughs> uh, we, we stand Judy though. It's okay. Um, anything she wants to sing in, let's let's do it. But um, no, I mean, in a lonely place, especially, it's it's so wild to me that like. I mean, it makes sense, like you said, that independent film argument is probably what, what I imagine happened. Um, yeah. But, like, it's such a good companion film with Sunset Boulevard of, like, this dark view of Hollywood. And 
they're both, I think, very fondly remembered. I, I believe In Lonely Place has a Criterion release, but, um, God, like, what a, what a good, weird year for movies with some very dark films out there. Um, do we have any last thoughts on 1950, or are we ready to call this one a day? No, it's done. It's, uh, that's it. I think it's we're done. Good. I'm happy the, the queer police will not track me down and revoke my queer card for not, <laughs> for waiting so long to talk about the 1950 Oscar race. Thank you, everybody, um, for, for indulging this. But, um, so, Marissa, where can people find you on social media? Uh, I am at, at Marissa Carpico on Twitter and also at my name everywhere else. <laughs> um, yeah. As long as you're spelling it right, you should find me. <laughs> there we go. Um, uh, you can find me on Twitter at MattNotMatthew1 or on Letterboxd at MattT. And if you're watching these films along with us, which I hope you all are, um, you you should prepare to talk about or to listen to us talk about the 1967 Oscar race next, the year of The Graduate in the in the Heat of the Night. And um, fuck, why can't I play? Um, the Graduate. I think I said that one already, but whatever. Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah. Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah, people can look it up. There, the internet exists. We don't need you to fucking tell. You know, like you can, you can figure it out. You goddamn losers. Um, but yeah, we'll be doing that next week, and uh, we're gonna have our first guest. Um, we are. We got a lot of guests coming up, but this is our gonna be our first one, and it's um, Sean Cordy, who I talked about um, writing the uh, the long shot earlier. But uh, yeah, I'm excited about it. We're very excited. We're gonna we're opening up the table to some other people, some other voices. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening.